Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 22nd and final regular season, postseason, whatever the heck you want to call it, Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host, Jason Evans. I'm in a great, great mood. I am joined by my usual colleagues, Donald Wine and Samuel Klein. Donald, say hi. Hey. Sam. Sam, where are you, Sam, right now? The the streak continues. I am at the uh, Kansas City Airport. Um, So... I think I'm in Missouri. I'm pretty sure I'm in Missouri. Um, so the streak continues. Well, we're all very, very excited. Um, it is uh, it's Tuesday morning, and last night was a night to remember. That's the uh, easiest way to say it. The Duke, uh, the Duke Blue Devils are national champions. Fifth time under Mike Krzyzewski, fifth time in the school's history. 68-63, to 63, we defeat the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, we've decided that we're going to keep this podcast to no more than about three or four hours in length. We could easily talk for about 10 or 12 hours about the incredible, unbelievable game that just happened last night, but we're going to try and hold our thoughts down a little bit. Um, I'm going to let Sam, you were at the game. Just give me really quick, uh, you know, what it was like to be in there, uh, in Indianapolis, in the stadium when the final seconds ticked off and the blue devils had collected their fifth national title. Yeah, so I, I, I was there last night at Cameron Midwest, I think we can call it now. And <laughs> I like it. For those, I, you know, we have, uh, we have Cameron North in, in New York City, and I think that Lucas Oil now is, is officially Cameron Midwest, you know, now that we've collected two national championships there in the last few years. The stadium is enormous. 
uh, we, you know, we know that at the football stadium. And I'm sure you could tell on TV it was mostly Wisconsin fans. There were a surprising number of Kentucky fans at the game. Those people must just really love college basketball. But the Duke were they wearing blue or wearing red? Were they wearing blue or wearing red? Uh, they were wearing blue, <laughs> but but there were just there were just a lot of them. Like I saw a lot of Kentucky fans. I saw a a, a family that had two young children, like under ten years old, wearing "I still hate Leitner" T-shirts at the game. Um, so yeah, that that was the thing apparently. But um, at the end of the game, the fans who were allowed to be the loudest were the Duke fans. The Wisconsin fans were, were very passionate and and true to form, unfailingly nice. I I really enjoyed being there among the Wisconsin fans. I was sitting with one one buddy who I went to Duke with, and we were sitting in a section full of Wisconsin fans. Um, they were into the game the whole time, and then at the end, a few of them like shook our hands, patted us on the back, while I was standing there crying on my friend's shoulder. So uh, the Wisconsin fans are great. They uh, they were very gracious in defeat, but. What's most important is that Duke won the game. The uh, the celebration was really fun. My friends and I were like up in the corner of the stadium, so we weren't that close to it. I, you guys got a much better view on television than I did. But uh, after the game, we went down, um, sort of stood in the middle of the arena, kind of behind where they had the the stage podium thing set up for where the players received the trophy. We got to see them cutting down the nets and all that stuff, and you get to see everybody milling around. It's amazing how many people are on the court after the national championship game, none of whom are fans of the team. But uh, the, the atmosphere was incredible. After the game, my friends and I went to the uh, went to the team hotel, which was a short walk away, and we waited for the players to come back. I guess the uh, press conferences and the and the media availability in the locker rooms took a while. We, we were there for for some time, but the uh, it was a lot of fun to see the guys walk out. A lot of the like Duke basketball alumni and some of the media people like Jason Williams and, and Jay Billis, they were all filing into the team hotel as well. And you can tell that the, you know, all the media guys like, like Jay Billis who, who are supposed to be these, you know, unbiased um, reporters about, about all of college basketball. It, you can tell that when Duke wins the national championship, they, they sort of let their guard down a little bit and they get to celebrate as part of the family. Uh, one of my friends and I ran into Jason Williams yesterday, early when we arrived in Indianapolis, I, I flew in yesterday morning and we ran into Jason Williams who was finishing doing a quick ESPN Sports Center spot. And I happened to be wearing my Jason Williams jersey at the game yesterday, which was cool. But he, uh, when he, he came over to talk to us for a few seconds and told us that, you know, this game's going to be really fun. I really, really hope we pull it out tonight. I, I think we can. You know, it was, it was like he was, it was a fan just like any of us. So, um, the, being being at Lucas Oil was incredible. The last time we won, I was still in school, so I was actually on campus for the last national championship. And my friends who were with me last night were asking me which was which experience was better. And I said, Well, but, you know, they're both national championships. They're different, but they're both they're both so much fun. Um, so a lot of fun at Lucas Oil Stadium last night. I want to know what it looked like on TV, guys. So uh, yeah, hey, hey, we wanna, uh, so. So the way the way we're going to break this down a little bit is we're going to try and sort of take it in different chunks and um, let's start with the with the Grayson Allen chunk. <laughs> Donald, um, uh, tell me what you thought about uh, probably the if, if I said that two freshmen would lead Duke to the national title and it wouldn't be Justice Winslow or J Jalil Okafor, you probably would have thought I was insane. Donald, talk about Grayson Allen for a second. 
Oh man, Grayson Allen had the game of a lifetime last night. He, I mean, sixteen huge points. He played without fear. You know, I I was always talking to my friends last night about back on January thirtieth when when we had just lost to Notre Dame. We get the Rashid Suleiman news, and we I think on this podcast, me and you, Jason, were saying Grayson Allen's gonna have to grow up pretty quickly, you know, but we understand if, if, if that's not going to happen, but it happened. And we kind of saw the culmination of that last night. And I, I, I mean, the, the kid was just everywhere. He was, you know, great on offense. Um, there was a stat that um, sports center tweeted out after the game. And he said, it said when he was on the court, our team was plus 13 point differential, uh, 1.7, a uh, 1.47 points per game four out of seven from three points, and zero turnovers. When he wasn't on the court, we had a minus eight-point differential, 0.86 points per possession. We did not hit a three, and we had all five of our turnovers. So the the guy was the difference. And, and he, everything that in the second half, when we started to fuel a little run, it was Grayson Allen leading the way. And who would have thought that at the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season, or even last night, um, he was the best I, I felt like he was the best player on the floor for most of the game um, until Tyus took over so this was excellent I'm so happy for him I'm happy for everybody who who probably wears the Duke shirt I'm wearing one this morning I know you guys are too um, but Grayson Allen was the spark plug last night uh, yeah let, let me let me chime in about Grayson um, and then I'll let Sam talk about him for a moment Eight points in 71 seconds. He scored eight points in 71 seconds. Duke was down nine. And and give me just – guys, I, I know I was texting with a bunch of friends, emailing with a bunch of other friends. All the texts, all the emails were defeatist. We were down nine, and everyone thought we had lost. I thought I, – I, if you'd asked me at that point, is Duke going to come back and get back in this game, or is Duke going to lose by 15, I would have hung my head and said – I think we're about to lose by 15 points uh, to a team that, that boy, in the first half, for most of the first half, I thought we were, I was like, how is this this close? How are they in it with us? Because I thought we were way, way better than them. But we were down nine, and then Grayson scored eight points in 71 seconds. It's the stuff of legend. It's the stuff of history. It goes alongside stuff like Mike Dunleavy's raining three-pointers down on Arizona to win the national title back in 2001. Uh, uh, unbelievable. And don't forget, during that time, during that 71 magical seconds, he also got an amazing steal from Travion Jackson, who's their point guard and a great ball handler. Grayson wanted it. He wanted it so much. I had an email from a friend after the game who said, how many people, freshmen or otherwise, want the ball when your team's down nine in a title game? So many players run away from the ball or they pause when they catch it. They're terrified because they know I'm one mistake away from dooming us to a loss. They freeze. Grayson Allen didn't do any of those things. He sought the ball. He, he hit a three-pointer, and then he took it hard to the hole. And that's what Duke did all night long. But to me, Grayson's courage, uh, to say it was unexpected isn't enough. It was shocking. And it and it carried us through the darkest, worst part of, of where that game was, was headed. We were headed to a loss. You can't convince me otherwise. We were going to lose the game until Grayson Allen said, no. Okay, Sam, your turn. I actually pointed out to the friend that I was sitting with when we went down nine. I said, 
we've been down by more than this before in a game this year. You you just watch and see what happens. I did not think that Grayson Allen was going to be the one that was going to ignite that run. I was really impressed with the way that he came into the game and was just immediately in control. He didn't he didn't make any moves that were, you know, that, that seemed out of sync. He did it, and he had the steal, um, which was his aggressiveness that didn't turn into, you know, over-exuberance. Um, the beginning of the game, we saw Okafor take an immediate offensive foul into Frank Kaminsky, and I thought, man, you know, I, he might be a little too excited for this game, and and he might not he might not be playing in control. I didn't see I didn't foresee Grayson Allen being the person to to come in and be the calm but also overwhelming presence that he was going to be. So that that I think is the is the biggest takeaway, the most obvious takeaway from this game. Um, the thing that we're gonna that we're gonna read about so much was was Grayson Allen taking over. So, uh, but but that he played in such control was was such a was such an impressive performance to me. Okay, so we've had our Grayson Allen love fest. It's time for the Tyus Jones love fest. Tyus Jones, most outstanding player of the Final Four. He also won most outstanding player of the South Region, and all of us agreed. We've said it on the podcast. He didn't deserve to win it. Well, he deserved to win most outstanding player of the Final Four. There's no question about that. Um, I have uh, other friends have nicknamed him, but I'm I'm saying it here. His name is no longer Tyus Jones. He is Tyus Stones. The kid is. Uh, nothing but clutch. Um, the announcers were talking about it. They kept on saying, Tyus Jones is the guy who takes over late. Well, Tyus Jones took over late. Donald, give me some Tyus Jones love, baby. So if you recall back in uh, December when we played Wisconsin, uh, Tyus Stones, uh, he had 22 points and was really the, the X factor and, and the MVP of that game. So yesterday when I'm deciding what jerseys I'm going to wear, I'm deciding between a white uh, Duke jersey with the number one on it, or do I go with my black Duke jersey, which is the exact same jersey that we wore against Wisconsin and happens to be number five. I went with a number five because I thought Tyus will not let me down, and number five is the number of championships we're shooting for. And thank you, Tyus, for not letting me down. It was That was outstanding in the second half. He had 19 points in the second half. And basically when Grayson – had caught us back up. Ty said, cool, I'll, I'll take us the rest of the way. And between the two of them, um, it was just amazing. Ty, you know, Ty has those two huge threes, um, one to take the lead and one to really, I guess, uh, end up being the final uh, final dagger uh, with just under a minute left. Um, with the, and, and that face that he made running down the court, uh, giving, the, giving off the three sign, um, uh, is probably going to be the, one of the more iconic uh, – photos from from this championship run um it was excellent he he played amazing and he he like just like Grayson he didn't show any fear down the stretch he wanted the ball and winners want the ball and you know we've been you know kind of looking for this ties uh for most of the tournament like I said he's played very well but he hasn't played Ty Stones level and last night he Ty Stones came back and he came back at just the right time I'm so I'm so proud of him for for stepping up like that in the second half and really helping us get over the hump and, and getting to victory. You know, Tyus only had one assist. And I think, you know, a lot, a lot of credit to Wisconsin. We haven't talked enough. I thought Wisconsin had a very, very good defensive plan. Um, they played a smart ball game. They're a very good team. Um, and they figured out a way to keep Tyus from sort of slicing and dicing 
to to get other guys easy looks. It also matters that we missed a lot of layups. Um, I said to some friends at one point last night, I said, Duke is attempting to set a record for most layups missed in a national championship victory. And I think we succeeded. Um, we missed something like eight or nine at least layups, um, shots that we, uh, you know, I don't expect us to make every shot, but we make a hell of a lot of them. Um, and I think Tyus lost some assists that way, <laughs> but he only had one assist and he found other ways to to help us out basically by saying, okay, if I can't be the assist man, I'm going to be the scoring man. And, and you know, what a, what a special, special performance he put on. Sam, what did it look like to you from, from the rafters of Lucas Oil Stadium? The shot that Tyus Jones hit against Virginia to ice the game uh, in January, when I think that we were unsure sort of where the team was going, we we had lost Suleiman, we had lost a few games. That shot made everybody believe that Tyus Jones was able to, you know, take the game into into his hands late and 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 dictate what was going to happen. And we saw that again last night. That shot that that Donald mentioned, the dagger, I think, was like a minute and a half left in the game was exactly what you would expect to happen from him that that he's very calm he's just going to he's going to go up to the line and he's going to and he's going to smash that three pointer and we saw all that poise from him I, I i that's all i've been talking about all year is the poise of the freshman and and he's been the the king of that i was reading the i think it was the cbs post game article about about uh, sort of the cel- the end of the game and then the celebration i think it was from Matt Norlander and and he talked about Tyus Jones having a moment with Julia Okafor after the game and, and them embracing and talking about, you know, how special it was that they were doing this together. And then also Tyus Jones celebrating with Quinn Cook, who was, you know, the, the mentor and the leader of the team. Quinn, like I said, that, that was the role that Quinn played. Quinn was able to be, partially I think Quinn was able to be such a good mentor and a good leader because he had a kid like Tyus Jones, who's a freshman, who was able to soak up all that leadership and all that, and all that assistance turn it into something great on the court and we saw that I, I, I could feel that in the stadium last night and it, it, it made me feel so good and then after the after the game you know I don't want to I don't want to dive too deep into this particular topic but after the game one of my friends turned to me while Tyus Jones was cutting that and said he's coming back next year right and I was like oh yeah yeah absolutely so uh oh really really impressed with Tyus Jones uh so um uh, time to move. Let's move away from uh, the two huge obvious stars and talk about some of the other guys. Um, and I'll let you guys sort of take your pick who you want to chat about. Um, I'm going to lead off. I want to talk uh, about our D, and that means talking about uh, Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones, who statistically, if you looked at the box score, didn't have you know, <laughs> the kind of game where people would necessarily notice. But in the post-game press conference, first of all, I think it's quite telling that Coach K brought Emil to the post-game press conference. K brought four players, Grayson Allen, Tyus Jones, of course, Quinn Cook, the senior, of course. And then the fourth guy he picked was Emil Jefferson. And I'm sure the media was sort of hoping that they would get a chance to ask questions to Jalil Okafor, um, uh, you know, or, or perhaps Justice Winslow. But um, Coach K knew that Emil Jefferson was the guy that needed to be there. And Coach K could not stop talking about how great Matt and Emil's defense was. The game of basketball is played at both ends of the floor. Cameron's really excited. I'm talking about defense, and Cameron loves defense. Can you guys hear Cameron barking? Oh, yeah. Slapping the floor, you right? He is. He's slapping the floor. The game of basketball is played on both ends of the floor. 
And most people only pay attention to the offensive end. They only really notice defense when it's off, when you give up a layup or something, or when you do something flashy like a steal or a block shot or something like that. Cameron, Cameron, I know. You love defense, but calm down. Denying your man, pushing him out of position. <laughs> Sorry, this is really funny. There's a squirrel. There's a squirrel. It, it could be a badger. Maybe it's a badger. Cameron, stop it. Calm down. Calm down. Oh, my goodness. Cameron, you celebrate as much as you want, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's okay. I made a lot louder and, and more regular screams last night at the end of the game. Okay. I, I think he won't stop barking at this squirrel. It's just a squirrel, Cameron. So I was going to say, <laughs> forcing the other team to take a bad shot, grabbing a rebound to eliminate a second chance point, um, you know, like I said, pushing your man out of position, these are not the kind of things that show up in the ESPN highlights. They aren't the kind of things that get noticed, but they are the kind of things that win championships. Um, Duke had not allowed any team to score more than one point per possession until last night, and Wisconsin scored 1.03 points per possession. But Wisconsin is the most efficient offensive team in the land. They're unbelievably good at being efficient and scoring points per possession. They scored 1.2 points per possession against Arizona and Kentucky, who are the number one and number two or number one and number three defensive teams in the country. Duke held them way down from what Wisconsin usually does. You, you win with defense, and that's what Duke did. And I, you know, Emil was amazing on um, Frank Kaminsky. Um, absolutely destroyed him. Kaminsky's production when Emil was in the game was almost nothing. And Sam Decker, what Matt Jones did to Sam Decker was sick. It was shades of what Mark, what Billy King did to Mark Macon back in the early 90s. I know you guys aren't necessarily old enough to necessarily remember that, but one of the legendary defensive performances of all time in Duke history was Billy King on a guy from Temple named Mark Macon. Mark Macon was, was the best scorer in the country, and Billy King Billy King ruined Mark Macon's career. Mark Macon was a freshman, and, and, and what Billy King did to him, Mark Macon didn't recover for three seasons. Sam Decker may have the same thing of what Matt Jones did to him last night. Sam Decker was hitting 50% of his threes in the tournament. 50%. Last night he was 0 for 6. And he had like three air balls, I think. Um, uh, what Matt Jones did, what Emil Jefferson did, and, and by the way, Grayson Allen, I thought, was awesome on defense as well. Um, so uh, that's it. Cameron's done barking. I'm done talking about the defense. Um, Donald, give, give me your player that you, you know, other than the big stars that you want to talk about. So I'm going to talk about Quinn Cook. Uh, I, I, you know, he didn't have a great game last night, but at least on the stats, um, I think what he was great at and make it sure our team never quit and was always in it. And like, you, you know, I think Sam was talking about the leadership that he's exhibited all year and he really had to bring that out when it seemed like we were, you know, on the verge of letting the game getting away from us uh, middle of the second half. And, you know, being able to to step back and let freshmen take over is something that's very hard to do for anyone who is not a freshman, uh, and especially for senior. Quinn Cook was able to do that all year. He's able to mentor these freshmen and, and get them to the point where in a national championship game, they can step up and carry the team. And, and you know, in the second half, not a freshman, all freshmen scored. They're the only people who scored in the second half. But Quinn was out there, you know, making sure that these guys were locked in all the way to the final 
you know, buzzer. And I, I, I want to, you know, I, I know if you guys saw the video of uh, uh, Quinn embracing Nolan Smith uh, after the game, and it was it, there's a there's a picture that's circulating. It's awesome. It 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 moved me to tears. I was I was literally weeping watching this watching this video and looking at this photo because of how hard that Quinn has worked all you know over these four years. How hard he worked last night, even though the stats really don't show that. Um, similar to you know Matt Jones and Emil Jefferson on defense, but this this championship is you know is going to be his, and he's going to be able to you know live as a national champion for the rest of his life. That is unquestionably the greatest gift that you know Duke could give uh, Quinn, and I know Quinn is leaving a legacy that will never be you know never be tarnished at, at Duke, and for that we're very thankful. And so I, I just wanted to you know point that out for Quinn Cook. Sam, it's your turn. Um, what, what, what have we not talk, talked about that you want to talk about? Well, to add on to Donald's point about, about Quinn and Nolan Smith, I ran into Nolan Smith yesterday as I was leaving the stadium and got to talk to him for like 20 seconds. And he had that, that, that face that you saw in those, in those pictures when he, was, when he was with Cook on the floor, that sort of proud father look. He was still glowing and looking like that on his way out of the stadium last night um, was in was in, you know, the best mood and, and, and looked as happy as you'd ever see that kid look. And Nolan Smith is one of the happiest people that you'll ever meet. That's, uh, that's saying something about him. I, uh, I did want to point out that early in the game, Justice Winslow was really setting the tone for us. He made a lot of big plays. And, you know, he ended up in foul trouble. And, and I think that's probably what limited him uh, towards the end of the game. I think he was a little frustrated by the foul trouble. But he really set the tone early. He made, he made a few nice plays on both ends of the floor that I really liked. I also, um, like Jason, I was impressed with the defense. I, I mentioned in the preview the other day that one of the interesting things to watch would be between Matt Jones and Justice Winslow, who guards Decker and who guards Hayes. And I'm surprised that Matt Jones got the assignment on Sam Decker and that he did as well as he did. So, yeah, Jason, that was, it, it's good that, that, that we give him that credit. But uh, other than that, I think that I think that we saw it all. I think that... It's amazing that, you know, we won this game. We, we looked good down the stretch that we didn't have a little before playing his best. It speaks to uh, you, how well you know, the team. Yo, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say re- really quick, I, w- I want to mention about um, Jawzilla. Um, yeah, he, he was not at his best in this game. He wasn't at his best in the entire NCAA tournament. It's fine. It, not his best is still a, a, a pretty – pretty damn good player and uh and and he's drawing attention and forcing the other team to do things they don't want to do even when he's not his best but um when the entire season was on the line when his college career was on the line because i think we all know jazilla is going number one or number two in the draft jalil okafor had two monster i will not be denied buckets inside um and in between those two you know with less than three minutes to go in the game and in between those two buckets um, with four fouls, he played his best defense of the night, forcing Kaminsky um, into a, uh, a shot that didn't hit the rim and then forcing Kaminsky to put up a, a desperation shot clock violation when Wisconsin absolutely desperately must have a back basket at that point. They had to get a, a good look. They had to get a bucket. And I think when that shot clock violation happened and then especially when Okafor had, had the putback rebound basket on, on the very next play, the ball game was over. Um, and Jalil Okafor, who had a terrible game for himself and got in foul trouble, which he's avoided pretty much the entire season, when it came down to it, 
he had two huge, huge plays. Congrats, Jalil. When we really needed you, you were there for us. So thanks, buddy. And go, and we go talked. Ahead. We we talked a lot. I think earlier in the season, we'd preview a team and say, "Well, if they can get Okafor in foul trouble, then they're going to be okay." And it it never happened. I don't think did Jalil Okafor ever foul out of a game this year. He, he might have. He did not. But it, no, he did not. Yeah. So there was never a game where where Okafor's foul trouble was directly related to us either losing or or almost losing to a team that maybe we shouldn't have. And at some point, we kind of just stopped talking about it. It was like, he, he doesn't get in foul trouble. Some cynics might say that's because he doesn't, he doesn't play that aggressive of a defense, although, as you point out, he did last night. Last night was the first time that we, that we had to deal with Okafor in foul trouble. What do we do? We're playing a team that has all these enormous guys that are able to score inside. And like you said, we weathered that storm. He was, he was aggressive at the end. Um, he knew what he what he had to do, and I I was a little frustrated. I think early in the game, or earlier, not not right at the beginning necessarily. There were a few times where Okafor got the ball and tried to get too creative. It was like it was like okay, I have this I have this playbook of of twenty different post moves, and I got to make sure I show them all off. And he made a few spin moves where it was like, why is he going over there? Why is he why is he moving away from the basket just to shoot a harder shot? He should he should be going at Kaminsky. He should be going at Decker, whoever it is that's guarding him. Uh, and get those guys to, to play defense on their heels a little more because he wasn't he wasn't doing that. And maybe that was due to that to the charge that he that he threw at the beginning of the game. So yeah, it, he 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 sort of had an interesting game because he really didn't look good. But then at the end, he he figured it out only you know for a few moments that that were so crucial. All right, guys, um, let's uh, let's go away from the players just for a moment and talk about the coaches. Uh, obviously. I, I don't know how we've gone this long and not mentioned that Coach K now has five national titles. He has moved past Adolph Rupp. He is in second place all time um, behind uh, John Wooden, the Wizard of Westwood, who only actually John Wooden only has two titles without Sam Gilbert buying players for him. So I'm not sure whether you count John Wooden's 10 as two and eight or 10 if you're not going to count the rampant cheating and buying of players that was happening at UCLA. But hey, that's for another podcast in the future. But Coach K now second all-time, five national titles. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you guys have noticed it, but ESPN um, on their Sports Nation page has a poll. Where does Mike Krzyzewski rank among the best coaches of all time? And um, uh, he is currently uh, ranking number one. 55% of people in the poll think that he is the greatest um, college basketball coach in history. There are only a handful of states, you know, Sports Nation breaks down everything by by state. There are only a handful of states where he's not picked number one. Um, the states that don't think Coach K is the greatest coach of all time are Alaska, Maine, Idaho. I don't know why those. But the other four are California, which is where John Wooden is from. Everyone in California thinks you'd think is, is a big Wooden fan, although it's very close right now. Kansas, I think those Kansas folks are, are a little... Uh, maybe they're sympathetic to to UNC or something like that. Wisconsin, which just lost, and they probably think Bo Ryan's the best coach of all time. And Connecticut, they hate us in Connecticut. But even in those states, Coach K is generally considered the second greatest coach of all time. Um, Donald, uh, reflect for me for a moment on Coach K and five national titles uh, and the fact that he won it. Um, this is the first time he's won one basically with nothing but freshmen. It, it's amazing. He's, in my opinion, he's the greatest of all time. If you told me that John Wooden's the greatest of all time, I, I would not have that debate with you. But 
uh, you know, that would be one where we'd have to walk away from the table agreeing to disagree. My opinion, Coach K is the greatest of all time. I think he was before that. I think this only solidifies it. And if you guys recall, in the span of less than a year, Coach K has won a national championship and a world championship with US Bas- USA Basketball. So uh, in, a, in a span of a year, there has been a lot of, uh, of good fortune coming down on, on Coach K, and I hope it continues because it, it's, it's an honor to see. It's an honor to witness. It's an honor to be a part of all of it and just watching him coach. Last night, you know, it was a really good battle between him and Bo Ryan. I don't think either coach was really outcoached uh, last night. It was just – you know, players executing in the end. And, you know, there was a lot of good plays that we had that, you know, we were talking about the missed layups. Um, we had a lot of great plays drawn up that led to some open looks that we didn't just didn't go down. Um, but that was you could see each each coach is really going going at it and, and you know, using everything in the arsenal. Um, and Coach K thrives in those situations. You know, he he's the nine national national championship games he's won five of them now um so he he knows about being in these situations Bo ryan on the other you know other side has been to four division two national championships and this was his first d1 national championship so he's you know he's also experienced with this sort of thing but maybe not on this stage um coach k thrives on the stage and you could see it last night and you could see after it was all said and done how much this team means to him um I don't think I've ever seen him celebrate after the final horn as much as he did last night. Of course he, you know, he did it for, it was probably about 10 seconds and then he went to go gracefully shake, you know, the hand of the Wisconsin team, but he was, he was riled up for this game and he was riled up for this championship. And it was great to see because he deserves to be, you know, to celebrate this. It was, this was a great win for him. And I'm, I'm so happy that he's our coach. Sam, your turn. Talk to me about coach K. I think that there are enormous contrasts between the team that won in 2010 and the team that won in 2015. And you guys mentioned, or Jason mentioned, that the 2015 team was really heavy on freshmen. 2010, I think that Coach K did an amazing job of taking that team and saying, we have guys who are limited in, you know, in, in the flexibility of their game. We're going to craft the style around, around a very specific set of, of offensive and defensive principles. Um, and we're going to kind of play old-school, really old-school type of basketball. This year, he allowed himself to be more creative. We, we talked a lot this year about how many times he changed the defense. And, you know, for so many years it was, well, Coach K is only going to play the, is only gonna play the, the aggressive man-to-man defense, and, and he doesn't want to play the zone. He doesn't want to play the press. He doesn't want to do any of these other things. This year we, we basically saw him empty the, the notebook on the defensive schemes because he said, well, I have all these guys who are really athletic. You know, I have Justice Winslow as as my best uh, as my best athlete on the team. We haven't had a, a kid who was that athletic and that big and able to handle that kind of defense in such a long time. And and he 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 let it go. He he you know set defensive schemes that that his players could handle. Didn't make them too challenging. And it's cool to see that he can win in different styles. It's not like. Um, you know, we we talk about some coaches having a very specific style that they like to play. Roy Williams needs to have a a really fast point guard to win a national championship. Coach K doesn't need to have any specific type of player. This I don't think that that the 2015 team had a Kyle Singler, and I don't think that the 2010 team had anything like Tyus Jones. So the contrast in styles I think is the most interesting to me. He's won it 
in, in different ways, in different eras. He's adapted to the game. And there was a period, I think, before the 2010 championship where people said, oh, I think the game's passing him by. He's not, he's not embracing the, the way that, that the elite coaches are using young talent nowadays. And we just saw him do that. We saw him, we saw him win with a team that, you know, maybe Duke fans don't want to hear this comparison, but a team that, that John Calipari could have probably won with. You know, guiding those guiding those very talented freshmen and, and letting them um, live up to the best of their own abilities and not trying to force them into into roles. You know, we give Cal Perry, I think, a little bit of grief about the way that he handles his program and a number of things, but you can't deny that that he's had a lot of success getting freshmen to 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 reach their potential very quickly. You know, in the college game and 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 Shevsky is clearly watched a little bit of that and has has figured out how to adapt that sort of into the into the grander scheme of, of the way that he likes to coach. So I think that that's the biggest takeaway here. I think that he's probably the greatest coach of all time just because of the longevity that he's had of, of having teams who were who were playing at such a high level and, and, and winning championships. I think that Sitzik is that it was 25 years from his first championship to his most recent one and that and that no one's even come close to that to that large of a span. So that's that's what's so impressive to me about him. It's not those those valleys that he's had maybe in the last couple of years, but but that the that the peaks have come and that they've come in such you know in, in such a long time frame and in such different ways. You know, it's interesting you brought up Calipari. Um, there are some folks out there who are saying today that it's very very possible that Duke is going to have more one and done players this year um, than Kentucky, which is. Uh, it's not something that you would necessarily have expected from Duke in the past. It's something that Coach K, I guess, has adapted to a little bit. Um, so I want to move on from Coach K very briefly. I don't want us to dwell too much on this, but um, Bo Ryan, the Wisconsin coach, had some very, very controversial things to say post game. The first thing he said was he, he really blamed, he very much blamed the game on the refs. Uh, he talked about how uh, his players were being held and, and bodied and pushed and that the refs were allowing Duke to do things on defense that they usually don't allow and that um, uh, uh, that Wisconsin was getting called for ticky-tack fouls that he didn't think they deserved. Um, for a guy who uh, Bo Ryan has a reputation as, as the kind of guy who says the right thing, who is usually very, very gracious, um, he, he just went a little bit bonkers. Um, uh, I, I'm really surprised at, at his attitude post-game um, his inability to be gracious in defeat. Um, it is worth noting that Wisconsin committed 15 total fouls. That's not an absurd number by any stretch of the imagination. It's just two more than their season average. It's a very, very reasonable number of fouls. And um, when you consider the way Duke was taking the ball to the hole, which, you know, as we said in our pregame um, analysis, as I harped on uh, a few days ago, Duke that's what Duke does. That's what Duke has figured out how to succeed at. They take the ball to the hole and they get fouled. So Wisconsin committed 15 total fouls. Duke committed 13. We had our two best players, Winslow and Okafor, in major foul trouble all game long. And, uh, you know, we really only shot more free throws than Wisconsin because we were aggressive taking the ball to the hole. Uh, I, I was very surprised to hear Bo Ryan say those things. My, my, my official friend, my friend who I've spoken about several times who, who is an NCAA official, said that the game was not well done. Uh, he thought the, the refs were really bad, but he thought there were miscalls on both sides, and he thought there were a few more 
bad missed calls that favored Wisconsin than Duke. Um, uh, he and a few other friends commented to me that Frank Kaminsky, the only way Frank Kaminsky was going to pick up a foul was if he literally wrapped Jalil Okafor's arms up and held them down, which he did at one point um, and, and picked up a foul uh, because Kaminsky could do anything he wanted other than that and not get a foul. Um, but the, the bottom line um, uh as far as my my official friend was concerned, was that there's no way that the referees determine the outcome. There's no way that the referees seem to be biased or seem to be favoring one team over the other. And then the other thing Bo Ryan said was, and I can't believe he said this, he said, we don't take rent-a-player kids, clearly implying that Jalil Okafor, Justice Winslow, and perhaps also Tyus Jones are one-year rentals, that they aren't real basketball players who who are committed to the school, that they are only there to play basketball. it was a really, really low blow. Uh, both Jay Billis and Seth Greenberg on ESPN roasted him for it. Um, you cannot tell me if Bo Ryan had a chance to recruit Jaleel Okafor that Bo Ryan wouldn't take him in a heartbeat. Uh, it's classic sour grapes. Donald, um, I know you watched the postgame press conference from Bo Ryan. Uh, I, you know, I'm, you can tell I'm getting angry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop for a second and let you take it. I, I think what Bo Ryan did was despicable. And I've lowered my opinion of him tremendously. Donald, what were your feelings? Yeah, well, I mean, I watched the entire press conference uh, several times. They've been replaying that every, you know, every like 15 minutes, it seems, on SportsCenter. Um, Bo Ryan was obviously upset at the foul calls or the lack of them um, during the game. But he has to remember that in the first half, Wisconsin only had two fouls called on them. We had seven. Um, and then the second half, we, you know, we're doing the same things and they, they started grabbing a little bit more. They started being a little bit, uh, chippier on the defensive end. And that's where they were getting a lot of their foul calls. Um, we were attacking the basket. Grayson Allen was attack, attacking the basket and he was getting, and they, they were getting the right calls. Um, you know, they've been harping on a couple of, uh, missed calls, uh, down the stretch, but in the end, those calls didn't didn't you know cost us the game or cost them the game uh i should say so i am not sure where his his uh uh ire for the refs came i i do think that it was poorly called on both sides there were a lot of missed calls um but in as you said in the end they kind of equaled out um and didn't really fa- i didn't think they really favored one team over the other so um i wasn't too worried about that it was more Miss shots uh, on both teams that that you probably could take away or, or miss chances uh, to take you know take momentum away or steal momentum away that really they're going to need to uh, reflect on. As for the rent a player comment that he said, I I was kind of taken aback by that because uh, if you think about it, you know he's really talking about the wrong team when he's talking about uh, we're not a program of rent a players because Duke isn't either. Um, you know we we have you know we expect that maybe two or three of our freshmen may be moving on to the NBA draft, but they haven't done that yet. So until they haven't, they're still Duke players and they're not one and done players until they say they're done. Um, and we've only had four one and done players under coach K ever. So uh, what is it? McGetty, uh, Lul Dang, um, uh, Kyrie, actually I'm sorry, five Kyrie, Austin rivers and Jabari Parker. So we, I mean, you can't say that we're a program of rental players. He probably should have used that comment on Saturday night because Kentucky is the, is the team that you think about when you think about one and done players coming in. 
they're ta- I mean, the, the story today is that they may have seven players going to the NBA draft. I believe they only have 14 on their team. So half their players might be leaving after one or two years. So I, I think I, I think that was, you know, very out of left field. I don't know why he decided that that we were the program that he had to target as uh, the one and done like face of college basketball because we really aren't. And I think that he just was very upset at, at, at his loss. I think he may regret his comments this morning or maybe he doesn't um but he probably should because you know it if he's gonna you know make these kind of comments he should probably direct them at the right team and and duke is not the team to be directing it i think that the the thing that he's that he's maybe not looking at is that you know coach k is is at the top of the recruiting game and there's there's a few other coaches who are in that range calipari is one of them and the state of college basketball in 2015 is that when you recruit the best players they're going to leave because that, that's just what their culture is now. The culture wasn't like that in the 90s. The, the players weren't so worried about, about maximize, maximizing their potential, and there weren't as many concerns about, the, about career-ending injuries, and it wasn't maybe as common for the, for the players to leave early. It's just what it is now. Coach K accepts that, that you know, he's going he's gonna to recruit these kids. He's going to recruit the best kids that he can. He's going to recruit the kids that he knows will be able to qualify and that, and that he wants, and if he can get the best kids to come, so be it. They're going to leave faster than the amount of time it took to recruit them. And I think Donald has a point that if Bo Ryan could have could have Justice Winslow or could have Julio before, he would take them. I think any coach would take them. I think that that those guys are are tremendous players. And even even if they only stay for one year, um, you know, I, I don't know the details of all their academic situations or or what they're planning to do next year. I think there's a there's a pretty valid assumption that that a few of, of Duke's players are going to leave. If they're committed to the program while they're there, you know, fine, whatever. If they want to leave, that's that's their prerogative. They have the right to go make money. They will go make lots and lots of money. They're going to make millions of dollars next year playing in the NBA. And you know, fine, Bo Ryan. If you if you don't if you don't appreciate that, I think it's great that he has players like Kaminsky and Decker who have grown in their program. And and obviously those guys are 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 heroes to their team. And and I don't think that a that a player could be more beloved by his fan base than, than Frank Kaminsky is by, by the Wisconsin fans, and, and justifiably so. But Duke had players like that. Duke had, Duke had Kyle Singler and Duke had Nolan Smith and John Shire and Brian Zubek and Lance Thomas. The whole, the whole 2010 team was that, was that kind of team. I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that he, that he went there, knowing especially that he had been a Hall of Fame finalist, you know, coming into, into the final four. I'm not sure when they actually did the, the final voting for that, but he... Uh, you know, he's on a big stage here, and he, and he knows that his words mean something. And, and I think he's generally, uh, you know, thought of as a as a uh, intelligent coach who knows what he's saying and knows how to say the right thing. And, yeah, it, it, it kind of takes me back. I didn't, I didn't actually get to watch the press conference because I was out doing all the, all the team celebration things. But it was a little weird. Uh, uh, maybe I have to go watch it, and, and <laughs> maybe it comes off worse than I'm, than I'm hearing it because, I don't know, he'll – He's going to regret those comments later. He 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 would take those one and done players if he could have them, um, and maybe he should be recruiting them. And I, I, you know, whatever, Bo Ryan. Okay, yeah, enough of Bo Ryan. Um, Fine. Uh, uh, do we want to do we want to do player of the game? Is there is there? I mean, we're going to mention one of two names, right? <laughs> yeah, let's, but I, I'm okay with doing player of the game. All right, then Sam, why don't you start? Give me give me your player of the game. So. I'm going with Grayson Allen, but I wanted to point out that there was a stretch in the second half where we were playing the four freshmen and Matt Jones, and I thought, 
man, this is a weird lineup. Um, it's, uh, it's, I don't think we've seen it very much, and I wonder who in this lineup, because it, it, it came at a point, and I don't remember exactly how much time was left, but the four freshmen and Matt Jones came at a time where I was, where I thought something has to happen right here. So which of these guys is going to do it? And Grayson Allen was probably the fourth player I would have picked among who's going to make something happen here. And he did. He he had the steal. He had, he had a couple of big shots. He stepped up in a way that I did not expect him to be able to do. We talked about Tyus Jones and how, and how tough he is down the stretch. But we've seen that from him this year. And granted, we haven't seen it from him in a national championship game. But we haven't seen Grayson Allen take over a game the way that he did last night against an enormous, talented team like Wisconsin, a team that was one of the very best teams in the country. I don't think that Duke necessarily proved that that they're the best team. I think that Duke, Kentucky, Wisconsin, you know, Arizona, probably Virginia when they're when they're fully healthy, those guys are the top tier. I think that's what my friends and I were talking about last night. Those those, those teams were the best teams, uh, and and you could make a case that any of them was was the single best team in the country. Grayson Allen went up against one of those very top tier teams and just dominated them for a couple minutes. And I think that that was the key to the that was the key to the victory. And I think it's Grayson Allen. I am so excited to see you know how he grows and matures in in the program next year and and in the years to come. Donald, your turn. Who's your player of the game? So I'm hoping that Jason will go with the other uh, uh, rightful candidate. So I'm going to also go with Grayson Allen. Um, I thought that he was the aggressor for most of the game. He was the one that took it to. Wisconsin from from start to finish and you know even in the first half even when some of his shots weren't going down he was still practicing the shooter mentality of I'll get him the next time the next shot's going in the next the next layup is going in and that was what we needed you know whenever our team seemed to get a little rattled and I think both teams were kind of rattled in the first like eight minutes of the game he was the one that was calm and and was cool and was just attacking the the Wisconsin defense with no fear. Uh, I've said it about him several times. The kid showed no fear last night. He showed no fear over the last like couple months of the season. And this is what you, this is what you live for. And and he, you know, he was the kind of forgotten freshman for most of the year, at least nationally, no one was talking about Grayson Allen. Some amongst Duke circles, most people weren't really talking about him. They were hoping that he would kind of, you know, be ready for next year. And, Next year started last night. It was great. And he was the real difference in us saying that we are a five-time national champion this morning. So my player of the game, with all due respect to everyone else on the team, uh, is Grayson Allen. Well, I, I know, Donald, you want me to pick Tyus Jones so that we have um, some degree of recognizing uh, the other great player in the game. But um, sorry, I'm also going with Grayson Allen. Um, and, and, and now, my yeah, sorry. <laughs> And now, after you guys have waxed poetic on him for a couple minutes, um, I'm going to try and see if I have something additional I can say. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I was taking some notes in the first half before I completely forgot to, to keep continue taking notes because <laughs> I was so wrapped up in the game. And one of my earliest notes was for me to say, I love how fearless Grayson is. Now, this was from the first half. This is from, you know, from before he exploded for, um, at, you know, eight points in 71 seconds and turned the game around. In the first half, I was already noting that Grayson was playing with fearlessness. Um, and uh, I, I had a friend um, send me an email and say that Grayson's nickname should be No Fear because because that's what he does. Uh, I had another friend send a note and say that in the second half, the entire planet 
knew that Grayson Allen was going to get the ball and drive to his right. And Wisconsin knew that too. And Wisconsin couldn't stop it. And that's the definition of greatness. When you can say, hey, I'm about to do this. And you do that. And they can't stop that. That's greatness. And that's what Grayson Allen was last night. Um, he, he was he was fabulous. Uh, by the way, you know, quick shout out to the bench. Um, we got 51 minutes from our bench last night. Grayson and, and Emil Jefferson each played 21. Marshall played nine fairly good minutes. Uh, it, you know, how how surprising was 51 minutes from our bench last night? And by the way, my wife at one point in the second half asked me if Grayson Allen would be turning pro. And, and I howled in laughter and said, thank God, no. Uh, what's the over-under, guys, on how many points per game Grayson Allen will average next year? I think he's going to be at least a 16-point-per-game scorer. Am I right? <laughs> oh, I said I'll take 16 points a game like like last night every day. If, there you if go. He's playing on a more, if he's playing on a more balanced team, it's probably more like 10 or 11. But with with so much of the offense leaving, because it's not just Okafor and Jones, but it's also Quinn Cook and his shooting, Allen's going to have to I mean, if he, if he could, if Allen can play like he did last night, he's going to have the, his ball the ball in his hand a lot, and he he might be scoring fifteen or sixteen again. I I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Okay, so um, let's do some I parting added, thoughts. I I, I should have added on on Grayson Allen. Um, the Duke basketball report forum is a place that is notorious for pumping up every single player who's coming through the program, especially the young guys. You know, at at the beginning of their careers, it's every every new recruit is a future All-American and is a future retired jersey. And we we heard, a, we saw a lot of chatter, I think, last year, you know, when, when Grace Allen was still in high school, that Grace Allen could be the next great hated Duke player and people are going to, people are going to treat him the way they treated J.J. Redick. And I thought, are they really? Like, he's coming in as the, as the fourth best recruit in a recruiting class, granted a, a really good recruiting class, but, you know, JJ, I think J.J. Redick had a, had a much better reputation coming out of high school. If Grayson Allen plays like he did last night, then the crazy DBR optimists are going to be totally right about him, and and that's that's awesome and very unexpected, at least from my perspective. Uh, so, do we have um, parting thoughts? Uh, anything we want to say in parting? I'll, I'll actually let me let me lead it off. I got a, uh, a wonderful email from a friend of mine, George Harris, who points out how tough, uh, how mentally tough this team was. Um, and he, he pointed to a few different games. At St. John's on December 25th, we trailed by 10 with under nine minutes to go. And according to Ken Pomeroy's brilliant computers, we had only about a 10% chance of winning the game at that point. We ended up winning it by nine. At Virginia on January 31st, we trailed by 10 points with nine minutes to go. We trailed by five points with three minutes to go. When we trailed by five with three minutes to go, our win percentage was under 5%. Just a 5% chance to win. We won that game by six. Against UNC on February 18th, we trailed by 10 points with four minutes to go. We trailed by nine points with three minutes to go. Our win percentage was about 3%. We won that game in overtime. At UNC on March 7th, we trailed by seven points with 14 minutes to go. Our win percentage was about 15%. We won that game by seven. So last night, when we were down by nine points with 13 minutes to go, my friend George Harris said, we had them right where we wanted them. <laughs> toughness. <laughs> toughness that's that's the hallmark of this team donald what's your parting thought so I, I take back to what we were kind of thinking when we lost to Notre Dame, we lost she off the team shimmy had just transferred and we're down to eight scholarship players and two walk-ons and you know we were kind of saying 
what's going to happen on this on this game on Saturday against UVA. We were never really, I mean, in our minds, we're thinking about how this affects the rest of the season, but we haven't, we weren't thinking about this season. We were thinking about the next game. And I think this run we had, we, we only lost once the rest of the season after that happened. And that was to Notre Dame uh, in the ACC tournament. The, the poise that all of these guys showed on the team from the coaching staff all the way down to the managers um, is nothing short of extraordinary. When we look back at the national championships that we've had, this is probably the most surprising in that no team that has eight scholarship players for the main freshmen should have this good a team or have this team have a team like that win a national championship. And we just did that. I really don't know how we did it. I mean, except for that these guys were poised, they locked in, they focused and took everything a game at a time. And that's what you have to do when you are facing teams that have 16, 17 players that they can throw at you. Um, And we had eight, they were trying, you know, each, each game, they were trying to get us into foul trouble. They were trying to get our big players out of the game because they knew that we only had three people on our bench and they overcame all of that and won a national championship. And now their legacy in, in Duke history is sealed. And, and that makes me so happy for everyone associated with the program. Um, this is probably, I mean, I, I was thinking back to 2001, which was my freshman year, how special that was, how sweet it was. This might be the sweetest national championship we've, that I've witnessed. Um, for any team. This was absolutely great. And I'm so happy and thrilled for everybody. Um, sorry, I, I've been, I was up until 4am last night, um, just watching this team again. It's, it's going to be, it's, I'm going to miss this team. It's, it was great to watch them. I, uh, Sam? I think I'll, I'll save the waxing poetic on this team for maybe our, our podcast next week. But I did want to point out that everybody should get should go to the final four at some point. If you get a chance to, and if Duke is back in it, it is a ton of fun to be there. The, there's such a great atmosphere. The, the people are all excited to be there. There's an enormous crowd. I mean, there's there were like 72,000 people at the game last night when we announced attendance. They have the fan fest and all, all kinds of stuff going on. It's just so much fun as a college basketball fan. I'm very glad that I went. I'm glad that I was there with my buddies who uh, who I spend a lot of time talking about Duke basketball with throughout the season, but who live all over the country. So it was cool to meet up with them and go to these games. It's a lot of fun. And I wanted to give a special shout-out to uh, uh, DBR forum reader and commenter Wheezy, who gave me a pom-pom on a stick last night at the game, and which I then realized about three minutes after she gave it to me. I, I wasn't sitting with her. She was, like, sitting in another part of the stadium. She gave it to me, and I was like, I don't really know what to do with this pom-pom, but I gave it to, I think, of maybe about a six-year-old, or not even six, maybe five four or five-year-old, uh, Duke fan, and I said, "Here, if this is for you, make sure you wave it and scream really loud, and and do your best with it." And I guess he did because we won the game. So uh, that that was my takeaway from being at the national championship game last night. Uh, I completely agree with you. You need to go to a national championship game, especially if your team's going to win at least one time in your life. I was uh, I was yeah. in uh, Minneapolis for the uh, 1992 coronation of um, uh, Leitner and uh, Hurley, and uh, our, our second national title of that it was a ton of fun and the, uh, the coronation I, I, of the fab five <laughs> oh, oh sorry no 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 not quite um 
Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing attending a um, uh, a national championship game. It's a truly truly rare experience, and and you're very very fortunate, Sam. And I'm sure that little fan waving that pom pom, it was the the breath of wind from waving that pom pom that pushed in Grayson Allen's shot that hit the bottom of the rim and rolled over the back up to I the top no of doubt. the rim. That that was, that no was what did it. It was that, that that's how that's how we won the game. Um, guys, uh, I think we're all done with this championship edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Sam Klein, Donald Wine, thanks so much for joining me. Again, my name is Jason Evans. We will let the Duke Marching Band carry us home. And don't worry, folks, even though the season is over, we will be right back here um, in, the, uh, uh, in the next few days for a final season wrap-up. And then following that, we will continue to bring you podcasts over the off season as we uh, lament the fact that basketball is done for 2015 uh, 2014 2015 season at duke but it ended the best best way it possibly could go devils congratulations to another national podcast.